Hello, friends, and welcome to the Healing Ground Movement. Now, for more content and bonus features, you can join us on Facebook and Instagram. And remember, all of our content is delivered freely. So please consider supporting the show by donating via the link on our website at healinggroundmovement.com or liking and reviewing the podcast on your favorite platform. Enjoy today's episode. Today's episode is brought to you by the incredible Rad Roller Mobility Tools, my absolute favorite tools for self-myofascial release for at-home treatment for all aches, pains, and mobility issues. Check out the link in our show notes below and use the special offer code HEALING20 to get a special 20% discount on your first order. Enjoy today's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Healing Ground Movement podcast. I am your host, Dr. Carly Hudson. And with me today, I am so excited to introduce you, TJ Walsh. Uh, TJ and I are going to dive into a conversation. Um, We were both just gushing over how this is kind of one of our favorite places (laughs) of intersectionality between uh, creativity, health, and self-care. I think that uh, creativity and the arts has really gotten a unfair sideline, both in the intellectual world, you know, it's one of the first things that gets cut from school budgets is the arts, um, but also from the healthcare world, um, that it's sort of this frivolous thing. But, you know, more and more, we have therapeutic arts and therapeutic music and therapeutic dance. And it's just time to bring all of this into the spotlight. For sure. Yeah, I'm just, I'm so excited to see where this conversation goes. But let me tell you a little bit more about TJ before we dive in. He is an internationally exhibited artist who has nurtured creativity in the hearts and minds for decades. He received his BFA in graphic design and an MA in clinical counseling psychology. He regularly writes and speaks about art, culture, faith, and mental health, and is an expert in human relationships, human creativity, the creative process, fear, and procrastination. Over the past 20 years, TJ worked as a colorful intersection of creativity, art, therapy, and education. He is an innovative, out-of-the-box artist, licensed therapist, coach, and educator who helps others nurture their creative life so they can be the artist and creative person they are meant to be. He currently lives in Philadelphia, PA with his partner and two sons, along with one dog and one cat, that is a full house, where together they share 55 houseplants and a very robust growing collection of artwork from emerging and rising artists. And kudos for you for counting your plants too. I just counted mine yesterday. You gotta count those. <laughs> you gotta know how many. They're like are. children, they're children. They are, they very much are. 75, I have to admit. All right. So <laughs> house plants aside, um, TJ, I'm so excited to chat with you. Um, can you give the listeners a little bit of a backstory about what brought you to this beautiful, beautiful place of psychology and the arts and how it's impacted your life? Yeah, for sure. I there's there's a few directions I can go with it. I'll just give you the the one that I always start with, which is essentially I have always been a creative person. I was lucky to not um, have parents who, like many uh, of us, kind of stomp out the creativity or kind of redirect to something that's more uh, maybe appropriate for uh, our our society and how our culture is driven, right? Like you were saying, arts are the things that get cut or historically have been cut. Um, so I've always had this um, uh, uh, encouragement to to keep pushing my creativity forward. And I've always had mentors and in, uh, in, in educators and things 
and people like that to, to push me on. Um, and so I always wanted to be an artist, a professional artist. And so I uh, got myself into art school and got my undergrad degree in art school, at art school rather. Um, and during school, I became pretty sick. Um, and uh, at that point in time, um, I didn't realize how depressed and anxious I was. Um, and that I was kind of dealing with a lot of, um, I guess, you know, stage of life stuff, but really asking some really hard questions, trying to figure myself out. And because of all that stuff, kind of uh, getting getting uh, tied up in a knot, um, I wound up being diagnosed with an eating disorder. And so the diagnosis that I was given uh, or the diagnoses that I was given was uh, anorexia nervosa um, with a little bit of exercise bulimia, which is what they were calling it at the time. It's called something different now. Um, and also a bipolar two diagnosis um, to kind of round out everything. And um, I tell you this because art school and the mentors who are mentoring me along my journey to becoming a professional artist, a creator, um, were the first ones uh, to, to kind of stop and take notice of uh, my mental health and my well-being there. And so those two worlds really collided for the first time um, personally at, at that Junction. I was probably uh, I was a sophomore when that happened, and mm -hmm. so I think I was about nineteen years old or so. Um, and that set in motion my real um, my real desire to first of all get healthy, and then second of all um, learn about other people and build relationships with other people, so that if given the opportunity, uh, I can help them. Um, and, and that's kind of where these two worlds collided. Well, and I just want to highlight a couple of things that you said that I think are just so important. Um, it, I, to me, you gave a little bit more weight to your tone on them. So let me know if I, if I miss misreading in, but when you're talking about, you know, being at 19 and, and figuring out these pivotal change of life points, um, you know, I think we hear a lot about tough times for teenagers. And then again, sort of in that later adolescence around 27, mm -hmm. where we get caught up in the, these pivotal change of life places and either having the tools or not quite having the tools to make our way through these hard questions. And so I'm curious to hear from you as you talk about meeting other people and learning more about other people, if there is sort of a, an empathetic understanding about that time in our life and, and finding other tools to make your way through it. And if that might be a direction where, where things went for you. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. You do, you do mention there two, two times in uh, a young adult life where they kind of run up against uh, particular issues um, and challenges. And they are at two points where things are really kind of transitioning for them, right? Mm -hmm. When we're 19 or when I was 19, um, you know, I was for the first time exploring 
uh, a bunch of different things. I come from, um, I also come from an evangelical background, mm-hmm. um, evangelical Christian background. And so at that time, as somebody who uh, was still kind of in that world, mm-hmm. moving into um, a world such as art school, um, not the most evangelical place on the planet. Um, I started to explore things that I, that I never really had the opportunity to, or was allowed to do. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of at home going to church, doing all these things. And so tons of questions opened up for me, um, that all kind of, uh, evolved or revolved around, um, issues of like sexuality, um, other identity questions. Um, is this really what I want to be doing? Do I really believe in, um, the things that I've been brought up to believe in Mm -hmm. everything at that point came kind of crashing in at the same time, because it was the first time that I was, that I was out on my own. Um, right. And really surrounded by people who asked questions who didn't necessarily come from the same background as I did. And if they did, they were having the same issues as me. And so at that time, right, when we launched to college, that is a huge, a huge turning point for so many people. And then the 27, uh, the 27 or getting closer to 30 uh, period of life, that is man, I'm supposed to be so much further along than I actually am, right? I thought that I was going to have this, 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 and the other thing, and I only have maybe this and that, right? Mm -hmm. And I haven't made it. I'm failing, right? Or like like me, um, Mm -hmm. I at, well, it was a little earlier, but generally speaking, I I had a career shift, um, at that age, I thought I was moving in some direction. Um, and then all of a sudden life happens. Um, and I made a, I made a really big pivot to what would I do today, um, which is what I meant to do. Um, and I didn't know it. Um, but yeah, yeah. questions. I mean, yeah. Both of, both of those ages. And of course those aren't the last ones, but, but certainly as we think about moving through adolescence, that it becomes, yeah. you know, where our place of origin, whether it comes from our family, or if we've made that schism, that cognitive dissonance throughout our late teens, yeah. and then we kind of have to check our accumulation by our late, by our late twenties and early thirties. And so I want to highlight this because to me, at least it really feels like when you are dealing with very big questions and very big unknowns that there are, there's the opportunity as so many of us do. And I put myself in that category because I did my major depressive suicidal depression um in the 1920 you know 1920 year old thing i was you know right on right on cue um (laughs) is um you know we can turn towards these fear and uncertainty and internalizing it in some way but it also seems like there is an opportunity where creativity and expansive thinking is almost a tool out of that Mm -hmm. um that Mm -hmm. that's sort of the antidote to the world coming in closer. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I think you're spot on. I creativity or embrace or engaging in some kind of creative output or act, um, can be so, um, 
it can really kind of shake you mm-hmm. and help you realize, you know, where you are, first mm-hmm. of all. Um, being creative, uh, making things can really push into any kind of resistances that mm-hmm. are present for you. And also it can address fear. Um, the act of making things or being creative, thinking differently, asking questions, um, all pushes into uh, our fear space. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we're scared of something going on in our life, uh, the automatic response of a human being is to avoid that fear, avoid that danger or that risk. Mm-hmm. Um, don't become too vulnerable. Don't become too open. Um, or else you might die, right? You, something horrible <laughs> might happen to you, right? I mean, we really just jump right to the end point right there. So <laughs> there's nothing in the middle. There's yeah. nothing in the middle. But really, like, if if at the end of the day, we're animals, right? We have very, uh, very, um, we have hammers and not scalpels oftentimes when we deal with things. And so... Um, it really does go to, oh my God, I'm, my life is at risk here. Even mm-hmm. if it's just like, um, you know, I have to give a presentation in front of, you know, a group of people for a grade, right? Mm-hmm. If we're scared, sometimes it does feel like that farthest stretch of um, our imagination as far mm-hmm. as what happened. And so, I, so I said, the automatic thing is to pull away, right? Is to, is to fall backwards, is to get away from the danger. But what is actually necessary in a lot of the cases uh, that we experience in our lives today in the way that we live um, is that we should be pushing into that fear, going towards that pain point mm-hmm. um, so that we can come out the other side. I mean, there's that cliche kind of, uh, I guess, saying that like, the only way out is through or something like that. Right. And so we can kind of roll our eyes about it, but I can guarantee you that more often than not, what is required to get over some hurdle is to actually push in, in the direction that feels more scary. Mm -hmm. It's yeah, it's, it's a wonderfully upsetting and in some ways to me, very freeing kind of truth. Um, once we can sort of wrestle with this, I don't know, bait and switch that it feels like sometimes, yeah. then it is a little bit of that, um, oh, what kind of, like, like Dorothy, you had, you had the power all along. The, the fear is exactly the thing that you were looking for. You just didn't know. Yeah. And, and so, um, so having that to move through it, I like to, to tell my patients, you know, go through, grow through what you go through, um, that That's you push up on the edge because otherwise if you spiral back into that fear state and stay deeper in there um, on a physiological level, we cannot grow and be in survival mode at the same time. They both require so much energy and polar opposite directions and your body's going to choose survival. Growing and thriving is like bonus. It's the cherry on top. If you feel like you're under attack. Right, right. No, that's, that's true too. I mean, when I work with my couples, um, in, in psychotherapy, couples counseling, when they are in such high conflict, Mm -hmm. 
there's no way that they're going to be able to communicate rationally with one another. Mm-hmm. And when we look at brain scans, when we look at MRIs of people who are in conflict, you know, it's like they are in danger for their lives, right? The prefrontal, the frontal lobe of the brain is turned off and dead. And the mm-hmm. only thing that is on is the amygdala, right? And so they are in that fight, flight, or freeze response, right? Mm-hmm. Physiologically, their body is preparing for fight, flight, or freezing. Um, and so when our frontal lobe is not activated, is turned mm-hmm. off, there's no way that we can communicate with one another. There's no way that we can be creative and there's no way that we can um, be human beings at that stage. We are uh, essentially our reptilian uh, Mm -hmm. previous selves, right? Yeah. And in that, of course, it makes sense that there is no gray area. There's there's no gray matter. (laughs) No, there is. Okay. There's no gray area because black and white and binary, right? Yeah. That that it's okay. I'm alive now, but death comes next. And, and there's not, there's not room to grow through that. And I think that's especially challenging as we talk about the ages at around that 19 and 20 and 27 is that that frontal lobe is not quite done developing either. So it's already at a little bit of a deficit. So can you help us understand then how creativity and embracing that fear through artistic endeavors is a way to, I don't know, it's a sleight of hand to help show our brain a little bit of a different way out or through as it were. Sure. So I've been, I've been thinking about this. I've been thinking about how I paint Mm -hmm. a lot lately because I've been getting a lot of questions um, coming to me about, you know, TJ, what, what is your painting about? It's like, you know, because my painting can be super messy. It doesn't sometimes make sense very much uh, or very often. Um, Sometimes it can be really calm and beautiful. Other times it can be really chaotic and unnerving. Um, So I get the question a lot. And Mm -hmm. I was thinking about what is the easiest way I can explain it? Because I have all of these, as you can tell, I talk and like, I think like all over the place a little bit sometimes. Um, And so it doesn't really come out super easily, but I figured out that not everybody knows what process experiential means. Um, And so I realized that I paint through mindfulness right? And so like, what does that mean? What is mindful painting, mindful drawing? Um, For me, it means really paying attention closely to what my body is uh, taking in. So what is the visual stimulus that I'm experiencing around me in my studio? What is my body feeling? Um, Is it tense? Is it um, light? Is it uh, feeling like it's going to throw up everywhere. Um, What is going on for me as I'm making these marks or as I'm listening to this music and making these marks? And so I think if I can remember what your question was before I figured out how to say that, um, creativity and the body and moving through fear or any other kind of uh, barrier can be really, really helpful because it's all about paying attention and being mindful and being present in a particular process. So it, it gives it gives you the ability to really uh, work out mm-hmm. the things that are going on for you that you can't get through. Um, and 
And the way that you just described it also came to mind that um, it also taps into a little bit of that power of coming from the emotional brain, from the amygdala, which is, you know, you don't have to explain your way through it. You don't have to crawl back up from the depths of emotional despair and trauma or wherever you're at to right. reach that frontal lobe again and string words together that make sense, which is why I love poetry for expression, because you don't have to mm-hmm. string them together in a way that makes sense. Right. Right off the bat. Um, (laughs) But um, it can be abstract and amorphous, which is emotional. And Mm -hmm. suddenly it is like this SOS sign to yourself, maybe to others of this is what I'm feeling. And now I can reflect on it without having had to think my way to what I'm feeling. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. For real. It does make sense. And so much of our life, Mm -hmm. especially as Americans um, or Western, kind of society people um, is spent up in our, up in our head and not in our body. Mm -hmm. It's like, we go around as these like floating disembodied heads with no connection um, to what is actually happening with the rest of our, our, of our being. Mm -hmm. Um, And when we're like that, it's it's just really hard to understand anything that is happening in terms of our past trauma or our current trauma, um, what is happening in our relationships because we're trying to rationalize them. When we're able to kind of get in touch with our body and our senses, our other senses, um, things maybe don't kind of get come out packaged really nicely and neatly. Mm-hmm but it gives us the ability or the opportunity to experience um, something to create movement um, so that maybe on the other side of that creative process, um, you might be able to find words Mm -hmm. um, or something might come out in the process of, of creating or making that, um, is representative of what's going on inside of you um, so that you can then develop or get in touch with this, this story that you've been so unable to connect with for so long. That's beautiful. It just, it becomes one of the stepping stones along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, you said something a moment ago that I just um, love is that you get something out, even if it's not packaged neatly. And I think there is something very permissive about that in in this whole process of just trying to find something, you know, particularly we have this kind of perfectionist society here, very Instagrammable, very beautiful in appearance. And I feel like if I'm going to ask for help, I better do it the right way because there's a wrong way to ask for help, apparently. Um, (laughs) But if, if we can give ourselves that permission of doing something and it might not be packaged neatly, it might not be complete or perfect. It brought to mind as we think about fear of creativity or even, you know, maybe some of our listeners sitting here going like, okay, so I'm going to splash paint on a canvas. That doesn't mean I'm creative. How is perfectionism that enemy of creativity and how can we give ourselves permission for, you know, expressive art, whatever it is, whatever comes out of you, is mm-hmm. creative. I guess, I guess what I'm getting at is if, if you didn't come up with a creative background and you don't think you're a creative person, let's un- untangle that myth right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, you are creative just because you are alive and a human being. Um, everything 
around us that we use, uh, that we read, that we hear mostly, if it's music or something, has been created by a human being um, mm -hmm. or has been created by something that human beings have created, right? Mm -hmm. um, solving problems is a creative act. Um, having relationships requires creativity. Um, so everybody who is breathing uh, is, is creative. Um, not everybody might be an artist, right? So creativity and artist um, are maybe not the same. Um, so I like to kind of address that right away for people. You are creative. Um, tell me again the rest of your question. So I, I love that. Yeah, I, I kind of threw like three questions into the pile. Um, so perfect. Separating creativity from being an artist or even trying to achieve artistry, um, that everything yeah. is up for grabs there. So then how is perfectionism the enemy of creativity and, and sort of keeps us in that self-limiting fear space? Yeah. So Stephen Pressfield, who wrote um, the, um, the War of Art, um, talks a lot about resistance. And he says, procrastination is resistance. I also think perfectionism is a version of procrastination and is therefore resistance. Um, and so when we say, oh, I can't do this because I don't have all of the right types of tools, or I can't do this because I only have this amount of time, or I can't do this because I might make a mistake. And if it's not perfect, then, you know, it's not worth doing. Um, you're resisting something. You're resisting doing um, by making excuses. And so perfectionism gets in the way of being creative um, because you're not giving yourself permission to find a flow, right? To find, um, to find out what it is you're supposed to be creating or making or doing at that moment because you're saying, well, it's not going to be perfect. Um, it's not going to look like theirs or it's not going to look like um, theirs, the other person, the mm -hmm. other there. Um, <laughs> I think, and I think this is all um, much more attenuated when we're all surrounded all the time by news feeds and Instagram feeds and TikTok, whatever they're called, right? Mm -hmm. um, feeds, I guess, too. Yeah. Um, where we see these carefully and artfully curated uh, images of everybody's life. Mm -hmm. um, so you're seeing, you know, the best work or the best, uh, the, the best edited uh, photographs of, of these people's lives. You're not seeing all of the work mm -hmm. that has gone into getting that image on your phone, right? Um, so we say, well, I'm not going to be as good as them, so I'm not going to try. And mm -hmm. then I'm going to, I'm going to not, not progress. I'm not going to grow. Um, and that seems like, 
And it seems like a really short bridge then to take that, not just talking about creativity, but about our mental emotional health. You know, we see these curated reels and and um, feeds and all of that about the the perfect marriage or partnership, the perfect parenting or the perfect dog that's been well trained or all of these things. Yeah. Then you're denying yourself the creative expression to, as you're saying, being in relationship is creative, being out in the world is creative, and if you're not going to be as perfect as that curation on your feed, then you know might as well put yourself in the box on a shelf. Right. Right. And I mean, that's what we see. I don't have in front of me the the research or the stats, so I'm not going to like name numbers, but that's why we have seen exponential uh, increases in uh, teen anxiety and depression. Teen suicide um, is so much higher lately um, because and they have found this out, although they're fighting it. Um, they're fighting the reality that their platforms actually are set up to increase these things. Um, so the reality is that our emotional health, our behavioral health, um, our spiritual health is mm-hmm. all greatly, greatly impacted by just consuming all of this content and putting ourselves again next to it um, and critiquing um, what we aren't based on what we're seeing mm-hmm. uh, instead of saying, Hey, the reality is that this stuff is all really, really nice, but somebody had to work really hard to get this result. And I can do that as well. If I give myself the the time, if mm-hmm. I put in the effort, and if I really pursue quality results. Well, it's kind of giving yourself a permission to have a first draft that yeah. somehow in this creative expression, and I think this comes out in, you know, our, our late teens and that 27, I'm just gonna keep going back to these time points. Um, yeah, yeah is that, you know, you arrive at, I have been launched from my home. I'm in college or whatever post family of origin choice I have made. I should now be an adult at 19, fully fledged. Perfect. And, and I'm not, so I'm not perfect. And I, and I don't have the permission to work on my rough draft. And then same thing at 27, I should be in a house and married with 2.1 kids and a white pick offense. And I'm not, so I don't, that progression of working on a rough draft is in a sense saying our life is always a creative progression and we're not handing in a final product at any point yet. Mm -hmm. Somehow we hold ourselves to the standard that we are supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, so another part of my life was working in um, higher education uh, both in the administration side of things and also the student life side of things. Um, and so I got to see all different kinds of stuff happening. And one of the things that I always thought was a huge, huge issue um, is the expectation that we put on these these kids to know supposedly what they're going to be doing for the rest of their lives because mm-hmm. we have to get them into these schools and then they have to declare a major right away and then they're kind of off to the races, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, to bring my story into this, I got into, uh, I went to the University of the Arts in Philadelphia and um, I thought I wanted to be a, a painting major and 
I went in there and when I was going uh, to school and historically before that, they had what was called a foundation year, mm -hmm. um, which was really awesome because your freshman year, if you were on the visual side of the house anyway, um, was you don't declare a major, um, you learn foundation, right? So you learn two-dimensional design, three-dimensional design. Um, they reteach you how to draw. So they dismantle all of the things your high school art teacher taught, uh, taught you and teach you the right way, I guess. Um, <laughs> but anyway, you're doing all of this so that you can kind of get your bearings and kind of start to try and understand, you know, what is a, what is a good fit for you? So I like that model. They don't have that anymore, which I think is um, problematic, but now they go in and they declare a major right away, more like this, more mm -hmm. expected route that people have. Um, so I went in wanting to be a painter and um, somewhere along the lines, I kind of lost the, I guess, guts to pursue that because, you know, I come from a family where people before my generation uh, did not go to school. They went right into the trades or something similar. Um, and so I was like, man, how am I going to make money if I'm a painter? Right. So then I discovered graphic design um, and I was like, OK, well, this is marketable and, you know, I can see a path more clearly. And it just so happened that at the time, the graphic design program at the University of the Arts was one of the best graphic design programs um, in the United States, um, if not the world. Uh, it was very, um, uh, very traditional and very um modern so swiss modern design was the was the style if you guys very clean lines it doesn't matter you guys don't care but <laughs> um it was also because of the pro what the program was at the time it was expected that you would get jobs at very particular school uh, uh firms um in very particular locations uh and go a very particular uh, route and uh, follow a particular trajectory. And I was not <laughs> that uh, person. And um, I, I always kind of brought in this painterly quality into my design work that um, was not the thing to do. Um, and I had a particular route that I was taking uh, right after school that wasn't going in the direction of these firms um, or these design studios. And then ultimately I left design altogether mm -hmm. and the expectation that was put on me uh, as an 18 year old, a 19 year old, a 20 year old, that I needed to do things a certain way, man, I felt a lot of shame when I decided that I wasn't going to work in design anymore. I wasn't going to work in marketing or brand development anymore. Um, what are my professors going to think? What are my peers going to think that I went to school with all of whom or most of whom mm -hmm. were still on that path that we were expected to follow. Um, and it took a long time uh, for me to become okay about it. Mm -hmm. uh, and even to talk about it with some of these professors that I had and some of the students that I went to school with, um, and learn that, hey, they don't care. Well, <laughs> They're okay. They just want me to be successful. Right? Yeah. And, and it really draws to light this idea that 
we we have to stay committed to one thing. You know, it, again, it's that final draft. It's that final draft that once we have started writing it, there's no going back and re-editing. And, and yes, timeline-wise, we can't go back and be 16, 18, 19 years old again, but we can always constantly edit our choices in our life. I, I, I went through a similar trajectory of for certain I was going to be a creative writer coming out of the gate. And I actually met up with my high school English teacher a handful of years ago. And she goes, tell me how you got a doctor in front of your name, because this just doesn't make sense. You know, <laughs> that, that we get to bounce around in trajectory as, as our life um, puts you on different paths. And that permission comes from, at least to me, the idea of being curious and then creative with what gets put in front of you instead of fearful of these road roadblocks and turnstiles that we stumble mm. upon. Because we always do. Pretending like we aren't going to is, is another mm. big fat lie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Both mm -hmm. in, my, in my painting work and mm -hmm. in my life when I'm living life the way I actually want to be living it and not kind of getting sidelined by, by fear and giving into it. Um, I liken it to like a, a call and response kind of, uh, kind of experience, I guess, where, you know, something gets shouted out to you and you are given the opportunity to respond in some way, right. Take a step forward, right. Um, or take a step backward, mm -hmm. um, or take a step to the side, right, in response to whatever is being put in front of you. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I like that a lot because it doesn't, you know, allow for any kind of like freezing in place um, and trying to like nitpick um, any one solution, right? You're exploring and experiencing uh, what is in front of you instead of just being consumed by by the power of that thing that's coming at you. Yeah. The way you describe it makes it makes it so clear to me. I mean, and, and hopefully if any of our listeners are still struggling to, to grasp the creativity and expression of living, it, it sounds like a dance. It sounds like, um, you know, uh, jamming with music mm -hmm. or jazz or anything like that. That is creativity to be given a piece and then work with it, given a color and figure out how to paint with it. All of these pieces, there, there is no right answer when you play that way. Yeah. Yeah, there isn't. Now, I do have to kind of, you know, say that I whenever I'm speaking about this stuff, mm -hmm. you know, I am coming at it with coming at it from a direction um, and the reality that I have a certain amount of privilege um, and so I am a cis white guy, um, or identify as a, a cis white guy. And so with that comes a lot of privilege mm -hmm. and I have the opportunity to, um, dance maybe a little more freely than mm -hmm. a lot of people, maybe even some people that listen to your podcast. Right. Um, and you know, Sometimes it's easy for me to get talking about this stuff and forget to mention that not everybody has that same kind of mm. those same kinds of opportunities as I do. Um, but I still believe that um, even if you don't have these, mm -hmm. these uh, same privileges that I've been afforded um, because our system sucks and <laughs> we're really yeah. awful. Um you can still approach things creatively. Mm -hmm. um, you're still uh, a creative person um, and have more power, I think, 
sometimes, mm-hmm. um, then you might actually realize uh, to, to influence your, your life. And I, I really appreciate you bringing that up and bringing up how um, our places of privilege always influence how we get to engage with the system around us um, and sort of what notes we get to play and which ones just aren't available. Um, yeah. It's a really important thing for, for all of the things that we talk about within health because health is at its base a really systemic kind of issue. Um, yeah. Something that I do find interesting, kind of as you were talking about the the power of still seeing that creativity in it. Um, you know, one of the places where, so as a um, cis white female, there's a lot of places of privilege for me as well. Um, and there have been a lot of places where I've had to think more creative, creatively as well. So when I think about growing up with handicaps, with invisible handicaps, mm-hmm. that's not a place that fits into our system very well. And again, though, just as we have been talking. It's either a place to see the roadblock and the lack of opportunity or to be given this call and think of what sort of response is going to come with it. So sometimes I think of that in terms of, you know, my dance, just the difference between us being male and female is going to be different than yours. Um, But the opportunity in that call is universal, just as the creativity that you mentioned is universal in humanity. We just might not all be given the same notes and our songs and our, our expressions are going to be di- very different. Yeah, and yeah. That, that comes with a lot of um, real crappiness about privilege in our system as well, though. I mean, that right. that is not, to be very clear, to excuse the inequities in our system. <laughs> but, yeah, for sure. But to reinforce our own creativities. For that's, sure. That's where I was going. Yeah, I mean... Like, I think, you know, I could be given a piano keyboard that all of the keys are fully functional, right? And the Mm -hmm. piano is fully in tune. And I can make any, I can make music using all of those keys, right? Mm -hmm. Um, If I choose to do that. Somebody else might be given a a piano keyboard or a piano that, you know, some of the keys or many of the keys don't work, right? Mm -hmm. The hammers are broken off of it and nothing hits the strings or, you know... I don't know what else can go wrong. Actually, out of tune. But, right, yeah. yeah. You know, but they still have the opportunity, I think, um, to make music, mm-hmm. right, in some way. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, maybe I'll stop because I don't know if I'm getting myself into hot water or not. But um, <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying to think about, like, do we have, what what are our abilities and what are our capabilities um, based on, you know, where we are at any given time? And how can mm-hmm. we make the most of them? Yeah, and I, and I think that's that really comes back around to the the heart of our conversation today is thinking about that every human is a creative human, and and that in working with that we we can create our own limitations, we can create our own broken hammers and broken keys, yeah. um, or yeah. we we can see the opportunity in the music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So I don't know why I was talking about music because I'm not a musician. <laughs> I think I brought that up because that's what I, I'm a, I'm a yeah. creative writer and a musician. And and only because my daughter has started to love to paint um, have I realized maybe I am creative with that, too. But it, it was awesome. a definitely an open an opening thing of I don't do this. I the, the way we give boundaries to ourselves, like I don't paint. I'm not a painter. I'm not good at this. 
And then I'm watching her splash the most ridiculous assortment of colors through my judgment lens, the most ridiculous assortment of colors on her paper. And I'm like, you're doing so good. You're such an artist. I'm like, well, why does she get to be an artist and I get to suck at this? I'm going to be good at this too. And yeah, yeah. it's just that permissive conversation. <laughs> I, yeah. And I, I think you going back maybe a little bit to what you were asking before and picking up on what you were just saying, even what is good and what is bad shouldn't really be in the conversation, especially mm-hmm. when we're in the middle of, of thinking about making and doing something. Um, you know, I run workshops. I have one coming up where it's about mindfulness through drawing and painting. Right. And it uses that stuff, uh, that I was talking about before of like getting in touch with your body. What are you feeling and responding to impulses? Right. Mm -hmm. So that you can focusing more on the process of making and creating rather than the, the outcome of what, you produce um, because that's what's more important, right? That's what's going to get you to coming in contact more with your your inner story and working through some of the stuff that gets you blocked up in those resistances. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also like, you know, I have a three-year-old um, and a four month old, but, uh, my three-year-old really likes to paint too. And I would often say to him, oh, that's really good. Or that's really great. Um, and I don't know if he thinks it's really good or he likes it or if it's really great to him. And so what I've started to do is kind of like hold back on those more, um, kind of opinion or judgment kind of statements Mm -hmm. and saying more things along the lines of what do you think about that can you tell me more about this what is this like for you what Mm -hmm. you know ask him more of his story and what's going on for him so that I can learn instead of me just coming in and saying oh that's really good I like the red and I like the blue that's awesome right but hey man what is this what is this like for you what 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 yeah. do you like about this? How is this for you to make this? In yeah. such a casual way that becomes the beginning of a right and wrong of expression versus falling in love with the process. You know, right. There's right and wrong for life, not a falling in love with the process of living. Right, right, exactly. And I think for most of us, I'm sure for you, when you say, when you try to encourage your daughter like that, or when I when I try to encourage my, my son, um, with that, hey, that's really cool, or that's really good, or good job. Um, you know, we're not trying to create any kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, issue or challenge. Um, but it can start to set up that, you know, expectation of I need to make this good, or I need to make it this certain way, mm-hmm. um, instead of being able to freely express and experience and come up with our own, uh, our own meaning. Mm-hmm for what we're, what we're making. Um, and then like you were just saying, living life, you know, as fully as possible without some of those, uh, judgments and criticisms in our mind. Yeah. Not having that perfectionism and the resistance of engaging in your world. Yeah. Beautiful. Awesome. Well, TJ, thank you so much for for spending the time chatting with us today. And diving into this very creative conversation and conversations with, with other people who are passionate is one of my favorite creative expressions these days. So thank you for joining me. Yeah, I'm so glad that I had the opportunity to hang out with you for a little bit. This was really fun. Beautiful. And, and where can our listeners find you if they want to learn more about you and the work that you do? 
Yeah, sure. So um, I have a community on Facebook that I'm growing. It's called the Bold Creatives Collective. So you can just look for that in the search bar on Facebook if you are living in that universe at all. Um, alternatively, you can go to tjwashcoaching.com and um, you can kind of see some offerings that I have going on right now. Um, I do have a program that I am starting to uh, put out there into the world called the Grow Your Creative Life program. Mm -hmm. So you can go to uh, my website and click a button and learn more about that. But that's all about uh, finding out about your resistances, like we've been talking about, um, so that you can identify, you know, what they are. So you can start reaching your goals, understanding your realities that hold you back, developing or looking for options. Uh, that you can kind of grab hold of and start to embrace so that you can move forward um, in your creative life, whether that's as a professional artist or somebody who is just wanting to, you know, be more creative or find their creativity. Um, so I encourage you to go check out my website and, and learn about that. Thank you. Oh yeah. And all of that will be in the show notes below. So definitely go check that out and see, see what all these beautiful offerings are. So I like to I'd like to thank all of you for joining us for this episode of Healing Ground Movement Podcast. Um, I hope this sparks some creativity for you and some opportunity to look at um, engaging with the process rather than the perfection in your life. Any corner is a creative corner um, and it's a great place to start. So we'll see you next week for another episode of Healing Ground Movement Podcast. In the meantime, be well. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard and got a little something out of it to help you on your journey to health. Please, if you're inclined, share this podcast with a friend so we can help more people lead healthier lives. Now, remember, the information expressed in these interviews is for informational and not diagnostic or treatment purposes. However, I hope you find that having the right information and resources can go a long way to helping you on your healthcare journey. Ask the right questions and seek out professional health. And we'll see you next week for another episode of the Healing Ground Movement podcast. Be well.